when we're, uh, I think there's a way in which um, it's such a rich conversation about feeling and sensing and getting to know our reactivity and then going into the practice of actually feeling it. It's big. It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of stuff. So let's just take a one-minute pause and go inside. Take a breath. Return to your body. Checking in with the state of your heart, the state of your mind. Let everything resettle. resting assured that we're offering a lot today and it's okay if you don't remember it all you will you'll remember what you need all right come on back I want to begin with a poem and this is a poem called bear in mind written by John Martin A bear is chasing me through a meadow, and I'm running as fast as I can, but he's gaining on me. It seems he's always gaining on me. I'm running and running, but also thinking I should just turn around and say, Stop it. Stop chasing me. We both know you aren't going to catch me. All you can ever do is chase me. So think about it. Why bother? The bear does stop, and he sits on his haunches, and he thinks, or seems to think, And then the bear says to me, I have to chase you. You know that. Or you should. And sure, we both know I'll never catch you. So why not just give us both a break and just stop thinking about me? (laughs) But with that said, he gets back on four feet, sticks his long pink tongue out, licks down both sides of his snout. Then he sighs, looks behind himself, and then at me, and he says... Okay, ready when you are. (laughs) This is how it is working with dukkha, isn't it? There's some quality of it that keeps coming because this is what we're doing in living our lives is seeing how this works, that we come in contact with the different events of our lives and we feel them, Some of it is pleasant, some of it is unpleasant. No matter if it's pleasant or unpleasant, there's still some, a little bit of rub that is happening. We want more, we don't want more. So how do we end the chase? And this is what we're we're talking about here, is how how do we bring in this wise discernment, this deeper knowing about what we need and what we don't need and how best to respond in, every, in any given situation. When the bear is just chasing us and we're going to participate or we're actually <clears throat> going to get out of the way and we're not doing that one. So this is a constant process. So we remember what the Buddha taught that Donald offered us very first thing this morning, which is the Buddha's teaching saying, I teach one thing, Dukkha and the end of Dukkha. I was at my parents' house last night 
And uh, my mother said to me, what are you talking about tomorrow? What, what is the topic? And I said, suffering and the end of suffering. And she said, is there ever any other conversation other than that? Because this is the big umbrella, right? And all of our practices, everything else is, is inside of this. So we keep coming back to this understanding that that dukkha, dissatisfaction, struggle, stress is is just normal, and it's what we do with it that is is the is the pithy place, as Donald uh, talked about. That the mindfulness brings us into it, so we can know what is happening, and we know if if you've been practicing with mindfulness for a while, or if this is a new practice for you, you will find out soon that. Our practice doesn't mean that difficulty... It's not going to stop trouble from happening. It's not going to stop that. But what it's doing is changing our relationship to it. We, have great, we grow greater tolerance, greater capacity, deeper resiliency to be with our lives just as they are and to cultivate wise response. So this is a practice of accepting... And I use that word carefully acknowledging, allowing things as they are. So when I say acceptance, uh, I mean it as the acknowledgement, not as a moral right and wrong. I mean it as we are acknowledging what is happening. So we want to know what is happening, and part of this is how we, what, what we're talking about is studying, being aware of what is happening in the mind and in the heart and in the body. And here's a piece that comes from Zen master Kodo Sawaki Roshi, who was a Zen master in the early 20th century. This is what he said. To you who are out of your mind trying so hard to attain peace of mind, you lack peace of mind because you're running after an idea of total peace of mind. That's backwards. Be attentive to your mind in each moment, no matter how unpeaceful it might seem to be. Great peace of mind is realized only in the practice within this unpeaceful mind. When dissatisfaction is finally accepted as dissatisfaction, peace of mind reigns. Can you do that one more time, please? You bet. To you who are out of your mind trying so hard to attain peace of mind. You lack peace of mind because you're running after an idea of total peace of mind. That's backwards. Be attentive to your mind in each moment, no matter how unpeaceful it might seem to be. Great peace of mind is realized only in the practice within this unpeaceful mind. When dissatisfaction is finally accepted as dissatisfaction, peace of mind reigns. What I love about that is that it gives us permission to have a messy mind and not be judgmental about all of the different machinations of our minds. That what we're doing is saying, yes, it's like this. This is the state, whatever the state of mind is, that we are aware of or that is present and we're willing to see it allows us to not judge it we don't have to have the inner critic alive and well saying well you shouldn't feel like this it's just saying it's like this 
And the more we come into that place of, well, this is what's happening right now, it's like this, that is a very loving thing to do for ourselves. It is really accepting ourselves just as we are right in that moment. And then we bring in the discernment, the wisdom about what do I need right now. Does this even need to change? This is just what's here. So this is how we are befriending ourselves. We befriend our minds and our hearts just as they are in this moment. And I'll tell you, every time I have heard the expression throughout practice, in this moment, sometimes that phrase just kind of goes over, in this moment. And recently I realized, oh, they mean this moment. (laughs) Can we actually really be in this moment, right now? So again, pause Just pause for yourself. How are you right now? What is happening in your mind right now? And take a breath. See if there's a feeling of the mind state in the body. Just know it as it is. and then come back. Now one of the beautiful things of our Dharma practice, thing that I have uh, deeply appreciated over the years, is that the, there are so many teachings that are extremely helpful, that, that are given to us as guides for our lives, that some are really meaningful and some just go right over our heads. And it doesn't really matter about the ones that, you know, we get what we need. At, at different times. And oftentimes these teachings might be pithy one-liners that we really get. But we can also become connoisseurs of pithy one-liners and without really, really contemplating what these teachings mean. We don't want to just be encyclopedias of, of these teachings. We actually want to practice with them and distill them out and feel and see what they actually mean. It's like that thing of, oh, they mean this moment. Not just, you know, present moment awareness, that we can hear that over again. Oh, right now, what do I feel? So, one of these teachings that I've heard over the years is really pointing to this practice of what do we do with with dukkha? What do we do with pain? And one of these teachings says, uh, you may have heard this, pain is inevitable, suffering is an option. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, okay. Now, I'm not saying this came from the Buddha at at all. I'm just saying that this is one of these teachings that sort of has flowed through my mindfulness practice over the last many years. And sometimes I teach uh, a course for UCLA uh, in basic mindfulness, the entry-level bringing people into practice. And when I teach for, for UCLA, I teach their curriculum. And it's, there, it's called the Mindful Awareness Practices Program, MAPS class. And it's taught online all over the world. It's taught at UCLA. It's a, it's a beautiful curriculum. But 
so when I teach it, I need to teach their curriculum with some changes in it. So I came to this one week that it was on mindfulness of the mind, and it, it listed in the curriculum was to teach pain is, uh, excuse me, that pain is inevitable, suffering is an option. And I got really reactive. I had this uh, very, very deep body reaction to this. And what I felt was, I, I, was pre- I was going through my own particularly difficult time, and I thought, I can't teach that because I don't think it's true. And I didn't, I, I was struggling with how am I going to present something that actually I don't, I don't experience it like that. And I started going through this whole reflection of, is, is the suffering, is it just an outgrowth of pain? Or is suffering to pain as grief is to loss? And are we simplifying our experiences of pain and, and suffering? And I'm using that word intentionally, and I know that we're really talking about it in the context of reactivity. But I want to talk about it in uh, relation to how some of these adages affect us. So I was really practicing with this about what is the relationship of great difficulty to my response to it. How was I fundamentally, fundamentally making a bad thing worse? And that's that pithy place that we really want to see. And I think that's what is, what is being pointed to with that phrase, pain is inevitable, suffering is an option, is about how we respond to the circumstances of our lives we really do have some agency over. But I was struggling with this, and I had to teach this. So I, as I worked with it, uh, I talked to the director of the program and said, look, I, I don't see how I can teach this because it's not authentic to my practice, and I, I'm just really struggling. And the, uh, the director of the UCLA program, Diana Winston, who is also a teacher here, she said... Well, the first thing is, you're going to figure out how to teach it. (laughs) Okay, all right, thank you. I'm glad that you have a faith in me. And, and And then she gave me a really important piece of wisdom, which was, I know this is hard, but you might consider that it is true, but it's just really hard. And you know, I think that's a very important piece that... Our practice is not easy. What it asks of us is is everything. You know, it asks everything of us to be deeply present with how we are, how the world is outside of us, how we can be in relationship with it. And I was reminded of a story from Barbara Kingsolver, who was talking about um, raising her kids on their farm, I think, in North Carolina, and the kids would complain about the chores and it was really hard. And she said to them, yes, it is really hard and we can do hard things. That's really valuable piece for me, is that when we are struggling to remind ourselves that we can do hard things, this is a training, and we do it bit by bit by bit. And the piece of the Buddha's teaching that I love that helps me do hard things 
is comes from the the teaching that says, "Don't believe me? Find out for yourself." This came from the Kalama Sutta, and it's long, and I I didn't bring it to read it to you, but. Basically, what he said is, don't go on hearsay, don't go on what other people say, don't go on what I say, find out from your direct experience. And when you find out what is wholesome, do it. When you find out what is unwholesome and doesn't support your well-being, stop doing it. Do what supports your well-being. And then by extension our reactivity, our dukkha, releases a little bit. We get a little more ability to manage what is difficult in our lives. But what I love about that sutta is the confidence, the faith that he gave us in this practice by saying, I figured this out. This works. This led to my liberation, to my freedom. I am no longer caught in those same things over and over again. And that's possible for us. And that's, that's what's so beautiful about this practice, is that we really can learn to manage these things that are painful, that are really difficult, and we can learn to do it uh, in beautiful ways. And it makes a difference in our lives. It changes us. So the freedom to explore and the freedom to question to say, I don't think I can talk about that or teach that because I don't understand it. It doesn't work that way in my life. But then, to be given the confidence, I think you can figure out how to teach this. Meaning, I have confidence in your practice and the practice to help you get there, and it might be hard and we can do hard things. So we need each other to do these hard things. This is part of why we come together for a day like this to explore with each other and to support each other. So first we have to know what's what. We have to know what's happening in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies. And that's why this piece from Zen Master Koto Sawaki Roshi is so great. Because he says, you don't have to go after peace of mind. Just know what's there right now. And there's great peace of mind just in saying, oh, it's like this. So we want to know our hearts and our minds and our experiences through the immediacy of our experience, from exactly what is happening right now. And this is how we can work with mindfulness of the mind, knowing what is present and knowing what is absent. And when we can notice non-suffering, non-dukkha, that's where there's some freedom. We know that we have a little space around what is and what is not. The Buddha said, know, know the mind. A mind filled with anger is like this. A mind without anger is like this. And we often aren't paying attention to what we're not noticing. So, you know, let's say we are aware of anger being present. That can take a lot of our energy. That can really take up a lot of space. But we often don't notice the mind that does not have anger in it. You know what I mean? Are you with me on that? 
And this is actually a very functional practice to understand what is also absent. Because there can be some freedom in what is absent, especially when it's absence of difficult mind states. We want to know when beautiful mind states are present. We also want to know when difficult mind states are present. But we want to know also what is not there. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh. When I have a toothache, I discover that not having a toothache is a wonderful thing. (laughs) That is peace. I had to have a toothache in order to be enlightened, to know that not having one is wonderful. My non-toothache is peace, is joy. But when I do not have a toothache, I do not seem to be very happy. Therefore, look deeply at the present moment and see that I have a non-toothache, and that can make me very happy. (laughs) So this is what I'm pointing to, is to be aware of what is and what isn't, and to notice these times when we actually have some freedom. Because we're not always in reactivity. We have times where things are okay, and we want to know it. We want to know it just as much as we want to know when things are difficult. Why? Because we are strengthening the neural pathways that are responsible for states of well-being. This is really important that the fact of neuroplasticity is true, that we can change our brains by changing our minds, but first we have to know the state of mind to do it. In fact, there's a uh, Richie Davidson, who is a leading researcher at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, has done a tremendous amount of work with the Dalai Lama, in studying um, the mind of meditators and monks and what is happening on the neuroplastic level in our brain. He's come up with a theory. I may not have the name of this correct, but it is something like the unified theory of the happy brain. Anybody familiar with this? So what he has identified is that there are four independent circuits in the brain that are responsible for our sense of well-being. One of them is this circuit that is uh, responsible for our outlook, our ability to reframe a difficult situation, to have a little broader perspective, to be able to, to reframe it into, what can I learn from this? How is this actually, what's going on here? It's not all one way. It's not all only awful. Can I reframe it? It is this ability to have a little bigger perspective. It's our outlook. The second one is our capacity to recover after difficult circumstances, and that's our resiliency. There's the actual circuit that is that when we have that experience of getting having difficulty and recovering from it, that it stimulates our capacity to support our resiliency very interesting that there's a whole circuit for this. Then there's another circuit that is responsible for our capacity to uh, concentrate and focus. And this circuit is stimulated in our meditation practice. This is this circuit towards attentiveness. So the more we steady the mind, the more availability, the more we're training the mind to steady, right? 
So we do this over and over and over again because it is strengthening this capacity of the mind. And then the fourth one is an entire circuit dedicated to generosity. This is amazing to me, that to generosity, a circuit that lights up, so to speak, when we are actually either the donor or the recipient or participating in generous action. It also lights up when we witness generosity happening outside of us because we know it feels good, right? You know that experience of witnessing generosity, witnessing kindness, and we feel it in our bodies? We feel it because there's, there's a track that is getting stimulated and supported. So this is why it's important to, what, to know what is happening and what is not happening. There's another question that I would like to just drop into our explorations. So often when we're talking about dukkha and reactivity and painful experience, we tend to focus on where it's coming from, what is the cause. But we don't often ask, where is this leading? Where is this leading? What am I learning? This has been a very important question for me because sometimes we can get so caught up in why is this happening? Who did this? How did this occur? And some of this is just unknowable. Some things happen that we cannot know and it's actually not helpful to try to keep figuring it out. But what we really need to do is use all of our practice to know where we're going. Where is this leading? How is this going to help me live a more skillful life? How does this support me, actually? Thank you very much for another growth opportunity. (laughs) But I don't mean it in a silly way. I mean it in a very genuine way, that when we can hold our pain in a way that adds some love to it, it says, where is this leading? And be willing to not know, but to go forward. So I'm going to bring you another bear poem. This is Mary Oliver. I thought it would be beautiful to bring in Mary Oliver today. This is what she says. It's called Bear. It's not my track, I say, seeing the ball of the foot and the wide heel and the naily untrimmed toes. And I say again for emphasis to no one but myself, since no one is with me. This is not my track. And this is an extremely large foot. I wonder how large a body must be to make such a track. I'm beginning to make bad jokes. I've read probably a hundred narratives where someone saw just what I'm seeing. Various things happen next. A fairly long list I won't go into. But not one of them told what happened next. I mean, before whatever happens. How the distances light up how the clouds are the most lovely shapes you've ever seen, how the wildflowers at your feet begin distilling a fragrance different and sweeter than any you've ever stood upon before, how every leaf on the whole mountain is a flutter. I love that poem because this is asking us to notice what else. 
what else besides the fear that is in front of us that might be taking up all of our attention. But there's usually more. There's more we can notice. There's more that we can, we can allow to support us. The beauty that is around us, the love that is around us, it is not all difficulty. It is not all stress and challenge. So one last little piece. This comes from Ajahn Chah, Jack Kornfield's teacher, the great Thai forest monk and teacher of many. Peace within oneself is to be found in the same place as agitation and suffering. It is not found in a forest or on a hilltop, nor is it given by a teacher. Where you experience suffering, you can also find freedom from suffering. So this is also our task, is to find the beauty within all of this. So we have a little bit of time before walking meditation, if there are any questions. We'll get a mic. Who has a question? Yeah. Thank you. So, um, what what came up in the most recent meditations was um, to me an unraveling of of stuff, and what it was was because someone or several people have been deceptive I don't know who to trust and if I'm safe and of course knowing that safety is um, and I teach pain is inevitable suffering is optional so what I don't want to do is to say everything is suffering, but I get it better in this context today. What I don't want to do is do a spiritual bypass and say, well, of course you're safe, because if I think I'm safe, will I be safe? <laughs> So is the question, what do I do when I don't feel safe? Um, I'm, I'm just beginning to wonder if, um, if I can be with that not feeling safe without bypassing it spiritually and somehow being comfortable. Yeah, that's the question, right? So, uh, let's define spiritual bypass. My understanding of this is to say, you know, stuff is coming up, and we just say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm just going to sit here and breathe, right? And not really dealing with the, the truth of our experience. So, 
this is where you need to bring in the discernment and the wisdom. What do I need right in this moment? What is happening? What is present? What is not present? Certainly, if your physical safety is in jeopardy, you need to address that, right? So that's, that's, is that, that's clear. So I want to offer, I'm going to offer in this next session, I, I may not be able to answer this too well right now, but in our, after our walking and as we talk about applications of daily life, I've, I've offered uh, a number of reflection questions that can be used on the spot or just in general as compass questions that you can even drop into a meditation to uh, let it simmer a little bit. But I think your intention to not do the spiritual bypass is a really good place to start. And to, uh, to notice how much of this needs my attention right now and how much of it doesn't. So is that at all helpful right now? I know I'm not answering it fully because it's a big question. Uh, this does require, I think that it does require regular meditation practice. I think that sometimes when we come up against these big questions that we can't necessarily answer right now, that it is really, really helpful to sit with it on the cushion and just allow it to, to simmer a little bit and to get very committed to, I need to be on the cushion. I need to, to really train with this and see where it goes. Anybody else? I just wanted to go back to equanimity for a second, and you talked about different tools, but how does one cultivate equanimity? Yeah, okay, great question. Right in the moment when... uh, I think there's a, there's the short the short answer and the long answer, and there one of them is it takes a long time. That this is our practice is cultivating this capacity to have the long view, to understand that right now in this moment this is how it feels right now, and it's all in the process of changing. That truly that it might be very uncomfortable right now. So here's, here's an acronym that I'll give you that maybe everybody will find helpful. This is the acronym, the word is STOP. And S stands for STOP. T, tune in, take a breath. The O is observe, open. This is the inquiry, this is the investigation. P, either continue to pause or proceed. Now that is, that stop practice is a practice you can do right on the spot of being triggered. Because we stop. We just stop, tune in, take a breath. What's happening? Oh, I'm really frightened. Or I'm angry. Or whatever the the emotion is. I need to just take a walk around the block. Or I'm okay now. I get I get it. I'm going to proceed. That allows the pause, taking a pause right in the middle when we can, right in the trigger of the reactivity, 
the pausing gives us some space. And it's in the creation of space and practicing that, taking intentional pauses, that we begin to cultivate equanimity more and more. It becomes more available to us. <coughs> Anybody else know that stop practice? You heard it, a few people? It's really functional, and, and if you use it regularly, you can do it in one breath cycle. It can be very fast, an inhale, stop, take a breath, exhale, oh, observe, upset, I'm going to pause. I mean, it's just like that. And it could go on, you could do it for a while, but it does help cultivate the equanimity. The other thing, that, that's right in the short term. In the long term, the longer range on cultivating equanimity is getting some perspective on, oh, I've experienced this before. I know how this turns out. You know, we, we allow our experiences to teach us, and we learn from them, and we start understanding the truth of how everything is changing all the time, how we have repeated cycles of difficulty and repeated cycles of beauty, and we see that we live through them. You know, we live through them. This suffering that dukkha leads us somewhere, and we learn from it. That cultivates some equanimity as well. Back to that definition of the wide, spacious balance of mind rooted in wisdom, rooted in insight. So we're cultivating that over time. Okay, I think we're going to end it there and move into some walking. All right. Um, how much time do we have? We'll do, um, I think, 15 minutes. Okay. So, yeah, we'll start, uh, come back um, when you hear the bell, and we're gonna, we'll start, and again, there are uh, materials out on the tables if you want to look at things, and I had, uh, in response to the question earlier, I had the, the steps of dependent origination, so I wanted to put this up on a wall somewhere, so I'll do that. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe right up front here, I'll do that. So, who's ringing the bell? <coughs> okay. Then. Yeah, let's ring it maybe about uh, 3.50. In 10 minutes, yeah. Enjoy. So, take, take your awareness. Stay present with your bodies. Stay present with your heart. Notice pleasant. Notice unpleasant. Bring a little love in. Notice reactivity. And enjoy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.